What do you think you're going to hear when the title of the talk is Missional at Work? Perhaps preaching the gospel to co-workers, hanging pictures of Jesus in your workspace, cheesy Christian calendars, uh, maybe even scrapping your current jobs to become a missionary or a pastor or a worker in the church. When it comes to having conversations about Jesus in the kingdom of God, Jen Harvey has given us ample encouragement and huge inspiration last week, uh, two weeks ago. So listen to that and be encouraged. When it comes to unpacking the gospel message itself, Sam covered that quite a few weeks ago now, and it was beautiful. Listen to it. Be inspired by how good is the gospel news. Today, I want to cast a vision for how our very acts of work themselves are missional in the kingdom of God. Um, and so today, we're trying to demolish a few possible misconceptions. One misconception, the best way to be missional in our work is to do spiritual jobs, jobs for the church. Two misconception, the gospel that sends us out to be missional is all about personal sin and going to heaven. Misconception number three, being missional at work happens mainly by preaching the gospel. Now, there's definitely truth in each of these, okay? But there's more to the story that I want to unpack today. So flip side, spoiler alert, here's where we're going today. All work matters and has spiritual value in God's kingdom. The gospel is about Jesus and the kingdom of God come to earth. Our, our very actions as we work are in and of themselves missional. Now, work brings mixed connotations. And as I was looking for a good definition of work for this talk, I came across Tim Keller's definition here. Rearranging the raw materials of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular to thrive and flourish. This is the definition we're working with today. We're going to keep in mind that our job is not only to build up the church through our work, but also to build a whole society to the glory of God. This comes from our Missional Life Workbook. So, what is going on here with the uh, unusual outfit? These are my wife's glasses, and I can't even see the screen at the moment. But um, we've got various aspects going on here because I want to really drive home the point at the start that everyone in the room is contributing and can contribute to this flourishing of work in their own way. Employee, employer, parents, spouses, cousins, uncles, aunts, uh, grandparents, students, volunteers, artists, musicians, cleaners, accountants, teachers, preachers, uh, academic work, um, those who work with their mind and with their body, those who work in Aghort or work on Wall Street. You know, um, we, if we define work, as contributing to human flourishing and flourishing in the world, all of those roles are valuable work. Now, my paid work is as a math teacher at a local high school. So bonus points today if you can spot the key moments when mathematics truly brings flourishing to this discussion today. Just a little side project. Whoa, didn't have to wait long, did you? Um, I really badly wanted to round these percentages to the nearest whole number. But alas, I'm trusting in faith that we can still make sense of this slide. Um, now, keep in mind, this is my life, waking hours, deleted sleep from the pie chart. But having a think about what our day looks like, what my day looks like, um, a bit of time in the morning where I'm on my own and, and doing my thing. Um, then getting ready for work and off I go to teach. Bit of driving, bit of teaching, bit of prepping, coming home, working with the children, uh, getting people ready for dinner, moving towards bedtime, reading stories, talking to the kids about their day, putting them to bed, spending the evening then 
building a flourishing relationship uh, with my wife and I, resting and then going back to bed. Um, you need to consider that this is a huge swath of your day. Most of your day is spent working in some way. So it's really important today. We need to consider how our Heavenly Father is involved in these huge swaths of time during the day. If you only consider the spiritual uh, work, going to church, going to home church, your time in prayer, you've just got a tiny sliver. So whether you're a student or a full-time parent or retired, it doesn't matter. Many large pieces of your pie include activities that can contribute to the flourishing of the world and to people. So today's talk is hugely important. It's most of your life. So what we're going to do today is, is talk about this in three parts. We're going to talk about work, the biblical view of work and what that means. We're going to talk about missional, the biblical view of missional and what that means, and then bring them together and talk about how do we apply that and work that out, missional work. So starting with the biblical view of work, let's take a look at the origins of work together from the very first pages of the Bible. I was wondering about my decision to go back to Genesis 1, and then in a minute we're going to go forward to Revelation. Um, seemed perhaps a bit down a rabbit trail, but then a brilliant genius man did just that same thing last week in the Justice Talk, and he gave me huge reassurance that we are heading in the right direction here. So, Genesis 1, first pages of the Bible. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. First few pages of the Bible. Now we're going to take a look. Uh, flip side, work to come. We're going to have a look at some images that were seen on the last few pages of the Bible by John in the book of Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need to light a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Now, I hope you can see some connections between these opening pages of the Bible and these closing pages of the Bible and the concept of work. I'm going to put some themes that we just saw there. Number one, our Father works. His hands are literally in the dirt, making us. In fact, when we look to the words of Jesus later in John, our Father is always at work. Starting point. Second, we're made in His image. We were made to rule over the world. And I'm not sure how you plan to rule over the world without some work contributing to flourishing. Uh, three, our Father rests. Our Father made the seventh day holy for us to rest. And then lastly, our Father will make a new earth where we will serve and rule with Him forever. And again, I'm not sure how you would plan to serve and rule with God forever without work, presenting, uh, providing flourishing to the world and to humans in particular.
So at this point, some of you may have felt a little rise of anxiety in your heart. Work, like forever. <laughs> yes, I can understand that. And so I'm hoping that by the time we finish this exploration together, your heart actually leaps at the thought, if it doesn't already. We might just need to shift our view of what's involved in work. But moving on um, to the main theme here. Our father works, so we were made to work. Um, work is not some sort of curse as a result of human sin. Work was part of the plan from the beginning. God made us to rule and reign over his earth and to work. Sure, work has suffered from the curse of sin, and it's turned into toil in some regards. But in the original creation and the very good humanity, God made us to work with him as he works. Uh, so this can be a good and beautiful thing. We come back to Tim Keller's definition. Rearranging these raw materials to help the world and people flourish. I'm hoping you can see this can be a really exciting thing and a really life-giving thing. Um, we're going to pause at various times this morning, and I'm going to invite you to listen to what the Spirit is whispering in your ear. Bonus points if you grab something right now to write on and record what the Spirit says to you. We're going to pause a handful of times. So here we pause to reflect so far. What are your main areas of work in this season? I'm intentionally still wearing this thing because I wanted at this point to remind us that work doesn't just mean going to work, um, you know, putting on your glasses and being paid. Um, work can be raising children and is raising children, building relationships with people, um, working with other family members um, in any regard. What are your main areas? Second, how can you use this work to help the world in general and people in particular to thrive and flourish? In this season of life. Okay, keep in mind, bonus points if you got something to write these things down because uh, you'll get more out of it that way. Okay, guys, math, bringing clarity to our spiritual lives yet again. Ah, look at this. Um, this is what we call a three-circle Venn diagram, and the word in the middle is the Hebrew word avodah. Now, look, if you're going to speak on a Sunday morning and you don't include at least one Hebrew or Greek word, you're going to lose the Bible geeks, guys. So here we go. I did not make this Venn diagram. This came from John Tyson in the Missional Life workbook. You'll see here, the word in the middle connects to three different ideas. He, he connects John Tyson to three different verses of the Old Testament. First of all, six days you shall work from the word avada. Second, this is what the Lord says, let my people go that they may worship me. Same word, avada. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord, avada. You can see the Hebrew word for work is multifaceted. Thus the Venn diagram to show work includes all three spheres. Now, Tyson then goes on to um, show us that these spheres can easily become separated and splintered. And I want you to have a think, do you see yourself anywhere here? Each of these splinters results in some twisted view of work that's less than life-giving. First of all, when you have just worship and vocation, but no service, you're driving toward advancement, toward your own career, even if it's for the glory of God even with a prayerful spirit, but you're ultimately here to do your job and you won't care about the city around you or the larger renewal vision, or at least not as much as you could. The other one, too, is when you pair vocation and service, but you're missing the vertical orientation and you move towards a save the world activism. You want to serve people and you get deep meaning from your work, but there's no worship in it, no glory for God in what you do. Third one over here where you pair worship and service, but you have no sense of vocation and the meaning and fulfillment that hopefully comes from that, you'll eventually run out of gas. You'll honor God and you'll serve people, but you hate your job 
it's not possible to do something you hate for long periods of time. So in order for it to be sustainable, there has to be some sort of sense of meaning to what you do. So again, my, my question for you is, I thought it's quite a helpful visual. Um, do you see yourself in either of those three separated spheres? So again, we come to a second point of reflection. Can you identify with one of the lopsided views of your own work? If so, what could you adjust to make your work or your view of work more holistic? Uh, again, keep in mind, we're not just talking about paid work. We're talking about every role that you might have that contributes to flourishing in some way. Now that we've pulled apart work biblically, I want to have a look at um, another way to perhaps think about that three-circle Venn diagram through the lens of a sacramental worldview. Um, we very easily get the impression from our culture and from certain arenas of our life uh, that certain arenas of our life are spiritual, like going to church, and most others are secular. Yet the Bible does not view work this way. Whether you're a parent of a toilet training child, which is us right now, scraping poo off of little undies, um, whether you work for an Pseudo Council collecting recycling or you're cleaning homes or making food or running a killer meeting, these are all vital to flourishing and God is involved in every aspect of our lives. From John Tyson, uh, sorry, from John Mark Comer. Uh, this is why we have to go to war with sacred secular ideology because it essentially compartmentalizes God. We have our God box, and then our work box, and then our rest box, and then our diet and exercise box, and our entertainment box, and our, uh, and our money box. And we cut up our life into tiny little pieces. And in all the masochism, God becomes a line item in our budget and a time slot in our daily routine. A building we go to every Sunday for a few hours. God is effectively shut out of the bulk of our lives. I hope you find that compelling, that this is not how we want to live. So let me summarize the biblical view of work with the symmetry and structure that a table brings to our spiritual lives. You can see here one message fighting against another. And um, I want you to think as I read them through which one looks like good news to you. And so on one side, we have this modern secular cultural view of work and this side, the biblical view. Keeping in mind there's a spectrum between these things. It's not quite as black and white as this, but you get the idea. The modern secular cultural view says that we work to live. And the Bible flips it on its head and says, no, we live to work. God made us for that purpose. We work for self-satisfaction and self-fulfillment. No, we work to bless others and contribute to a flourishing world. Work is dualistic. There's a clear division of what is secular and what is sacred. No, work is sacramental. All aspects of life are sacred. Work is a separate arena from God's work. No, our work is the central arena for God's mission. Work is just paid work. No, work is all activities that contribute to flourishing. Work hard, earn your place, enjoy your rewards. They're winners and they're losers. No, each and every human is created by God. And in the image of God, everyone is made to contribute to our rule. Everything is a gift. Again, I ask, which one looks like good news to you? We're going to pause again briefly. Uh, reflect on these questions. Do you see your work as sacred? In other words, do you see God involved in your work? In what ways are you possibly excluding God from participating in your work? And then just imagine the flourishing that can come from turning this on its head and following along with the biblical view of work. Okay, guys, we're going to move on to phase two of our exploration today and take a look at what it means to be missional. Work, missional, missional work. We're going to look at missional next. And um, I want to start with picking your brain the gospel. 
the good news. 1 to 30 words. How closely did you pay attention to Sam a few weeks ago? Hey, what comes to mind? I grew up with an idea of the gospel that went a bit like this when I was younger. You, a sinner, need to be made right with God by believing in Jesus so that you can go to heaven when you die. Or something like, uh, your sin condemns you to eternal torment under the wrath of God. But Jesus can justify you and make you right in God's eyes so you can go to heaven when you die. Now, in high school and university, um, calling myself a Christian became much more costly as I moved from the cozy security of my parents' faith and the faith of my church community. So if good news was just this personal forgiveness of sins and a ticket to heaven, it is good news, but what of my life now? It genuinely felt a little bit hollow, like this gospel was a puzzle that was missing some major pieces. So at that age, as I started to read the gospels for myself in high school and make sense of them, and studied a fabulous book called Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster in our youth group, all about spiritual disciplines. Um, something clicked for me. This was exciting stuff, man. This real gospel that Jesus talked about, full gospel, meant that my life in God's kingdom starts now, and that he's using me to help bring it about, his kingdom. If only I make myself a willing participant. So this is from Patsy Cavey, good old Canadian pastor. Uh, I think it's a very tidy and rich summary, totally ripped off from Sam's sermon four weeks ago. The gospel in one word, Jesus. Not forgiveness, not heaven, Jesus. Three words, Jesus is Lord. That brings with it all sorts of things, but first and foremost, Jesus is Lord. 30 words, Jesus is God with us. God with us, come to show us God's love. Yes, save us from our sin, but yes, also set up God's kingdom and shut down religion works-based, earning God's favor so that we can share in God's life now and forever. I hope you can see that that sounds pretty exciting. At least it does to me. I want you to think about what you might hear Jesus talking about on a, on a given day more than anything else. If you were to turn to a few random stories of Jesus' ministry. Again, I'm not a theologian here, but I've read the Gospels and I've heard other people talk about this and I've seen it. Jesus is constantly talking about the kingdom of God. At the start of Mark chapter 1, he literally says, The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Kingdom of God, eternal life, salvation, these words blend together to mean basically the same thing. Jean um, Dutrois last week defined it so beautifully. The kingdom of God means life, either now or later. Yeah, life now or life in the kingdom to come. The way it's meant to be under Jesus, the King. Guys, it gives me shivers. This is such an exciting message. I always found this confusing in my teen years. What does it mean, the kingdom of God? We don't live under kings anymore. And so it's not a natural thought. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is the kingdom of God. So to conclude um, this, sec this section, think about the gospel, the kingdom of God has come near as this big gem. Okay, this is my, my attempt at my beautiful picture here. Imagine a multifaceted gem. And there's many things within this beautiful gospel. Yes, we have forgiveness of sins. It's beautiful. Yes, we are justified before God in Jesus. Yes, we have all this unmerited grace. But yes, it also means we submit to Jesus as Lord and King. It also means right relationships with God and others and ourselves and creation. It means lives of justice and righteousness. And it culminates in a whole new heaven and earth under God's reign here. I mean, Jesus has borne our sins and, his, and our condemnation on the cross, and that is a powerful cornerstone of our faith. But there is more. 
The gospel is always better than you just realized. I'm going to wrap this up with uh, an analogy. Okay, This whole concept of the kingdom of God might seem very natural to you, or it may shake up your paradigm of the gospel a little bit. But either way, I want you to consider this image before you. Imagine all the thoughts and the feelings surrounding this beautiful and momentous occasion. Looks like it could have happened yesterday. Okay. Second image, same event. Does this convey to you the same depth of thought and emotion? If not, why not? Okay. Think about this. Does this sound like good news to you? I'm getting married. It's fabulous. You get a marriage certificate declaring that the two of you are legally married which means now not only tax benefits, but when your wife eventually passes away, you become the legal owner of all her possessions. You men need to get married too. You'll save heaps of money and be much better off in retirement. Okay, whoa. First of all, is anything there actually untrue? No, no, those things are true, but the main focus is way off, totally missing the heart of marriage. This view of marriage is way too narrow, missing huge swaths of the blessings and challenges of marriage, and it's totally focused on self. The gospel is not about us, it's about Jesus. So that, that marriage certificate image, uh, that story, I know it makes me cringe. I, I think, how did I get away thinking about the gospel like this for so long? Um, our Father is so overflowing with love and grace, and he leads us in paths of truth, and our offenses only draw out from him more mercy as he sets us straight. So think about it in one more way here. Um, if you think, bringing it back to work, okay, trying to tie the mission and the work together as we wrap up this little section. If you think of the heart of the gospel, the very core, as mainly self-preservation and asking for forgiveness so you can get to heaven, it's like a product. And when you're interacting with people, you'll come across as a salesman. If you think of it mainly as a legal status, I am justified in Jesus, and that is the core of the gospel. Well, you'll probably end up being something along the lines of a lecturer about legal status. If you think of the gospel mainly as a promise of prosperity, health, wealth, and success, well, I, you will come across as a con artist, because that is just not true. In that story of the rich young man, he says, what do I need to gain eternal life? Which again could mean participating in the kingdom of God in the age to come. There's no mention of sins in this particular story. There's no mention of heaven. Eternal life is better thought of as life in the age to come, life in the kingdom of God. And there's definitely no promise of prosperity, quite the opposite. But the coming of the kingdom of God, yes. Submission to God alone, not money, yes. Justice and righteousness with our money, considering the poor and the disadvantaged, yes. Sacrifice for Jesus, yes. Oh, if you see the gospel as bringing the kingdom of God here on earth, the reign and rule of Jesus, then you will be a messenger of good news. You offer this holistic invitation to come and see, to follow him. It's not less than forgiveness and justification, but it is certainly more. So these other facets of the gospel fall into place if you just see our work as to partner with our Father in establishing his kingdom. He does it all. It's all by grace. But it's a beautiful vision. Again, to promote human flourishing under the reign of rule and lordship and governance of Jesus. Lastly, consider this. Um, there, the gospel ties into work in the kingdom to come. A holistic view of the gospel will surely shape what it means to be missional. And a huge part of the gospel is what is to come. Our Father 
will make a new earth where we will serve and rule with him forever. Remember the image from the pages of Revelation. Therefore, Paul says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Paul has just encouraged the church after a rich chapter describing um, what we can expect in the age to come when Jesus returns. And our labor, our work, is not in vain because it's not all coming to a sudden end in a giant ball of fire. We will continue to work. You're never going to cease existing and there's nothing you can do about it. If that's true, what are we going to do with all that time? We were made to work and we will work forever. And before you get sad about that, realize it's in a world where the curse has been undone. The painful toil is gone. We will not labor in vain. Our work will be exciting, fun, challenging, rewarding, fascinating, energizing, significant, and a custom fit for who we are. This is what's waiting for us. Not an eternal vacation in the sky, which if you think about it, after a few minutes would get old pretty quick. No, it is an eternity of working and resting in this world completely remade from top to bottom by the Creator, ruling over the earth side by side with Jesus himself. This is the hope of Jesus. Time to pause and reflect as we end this section. Have you been holding to a partial vision of the gospel, given that the gospel shows us that we will work with God in his kingdom now and forever, what kind of person are you becoming as a result of your current work? Now that we've pulled apart the biblical view of work and the biblical view of mission, we're going to put them together and talk about what it means to be missional at work. I'm going to suggest a few things that we can consider. And the first is pretty simply stated, do your work well. Whether employee, parent, student, cleaner, chef, dog walker, volunteer, midwife, artist, author, theologian, pastor, grandparent, do it really, really well. Paul said the same. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there's no favoritism. From Mark Comer again. What does that look like? doing your work really well. Well, here are a few ideas. God is hardworking, so we should be hardworking. God is joyful and eager and proactive, so we should be cheerful and show up 10 minutes early for our shift, volunteer when something difficult needs to be done. God is honest and true, so we should be full of integrity, even when it means less money or no promotion. Because we're made in the image of God, here to make the invisible God visible. You're the priest of your office, or your classroom, or your home, or your job site. You are God's representatives. So much of this comes down to attitude. Think about how lousy on-the-job attitudes are. People gripe and whine and badmouth and gossip and slander and drag their feet like crazy. What if God's people were to cut across that grain? One of the leaders in John Mark Comer's church works for a job placement company. And she sent him an email a while back telling him that whenever she can, she hires people from his church. Her boss, who is mostly not a most definitely not a follower of Jesus, had just walked into her office and asked her to hire as many people as she can from that church you go to because they make the best employees. Come on, guys. Let's get into this, Bay Vineyard. Um, there is one example that stuck with me quite deeply here. Reflect on this. 
When was the last time you complained or spoke badly in any way or even cast a negative light on a coworker, your children, your spouse, a family member? I'm convicted to my heart about this one, especially with my family. It's so easy to gripe about the behavior of my children, my students, co-workers, even in a weak moment, um, you know, my spouse. But Jesus is merciful. Let us uphold each other with our words. What if God's people were known as the best carpenters, the best CEOs, and the most educated teachers, and the most creative artists, and the most ingenious writers, and the most humble, self-effacing, down-to-earth, servant-hearted, loving people around? I think that would make God very happy. Let us reflect here. How would Jesus do your job if he worked at it in obscurity for 15 years, just like he did as a young man working in obscurity for many years with his hands? Okay, second suggestion I have here, in addition to doing work really well, even though it might be hard and it might be costly, is working with God in John. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, he was healing a man, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the father doing, because whatever the father does, the son does also. Look, we can so easily turn these suggestions around work into an idol and convince ourselves that it all comes down to us and that we need to be in control and we can do this for God. Look, Jesus reminds us that God is already at work all around us, all throughout the day. And he actually knows what he's doing. So how about we partner with him? Consider this. Look, I've often thought that it was a bit odd that Jesus left us here. Wouldn't it be so much easier if we could sit down with him, talk to him face to face, ask him some questions, walk with him, feel his hand on your shoulder. But the thing is we can, all of us, all at once, anywhere, anytime, through the Holy Spirit, in silence, in solitude, in scripture, and in prayer, even in busy, stressful situations. Look, uh, this is from Dale Ortland, author of Gentle and Lonely. Jesus is closer to you today than he was to the sinners and sufferers he spoke with and touched in his earthly ministry. Through the Spirit, Christ's own heart envelops his people with an embrace nearer and tighter than any physical embrace could ever achieve. Look, consider that Jesus told his disciples at their final meal together, it is good for you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Consider this words of Jesus as well in John. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Those branches are picked up and thrown into the fire, burned. But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now from N.T. Wright, within Jewish tradition, the vine was a picture of Israel. God brought a vine out of Egypt, planted it in the promised land. Now Jesus is saying that he is the true vine. This can only mean that he is in himself the true Israel. He's the one on whom God's purposes are now resting, as they have failed. And his followers are members of God's true people. That's us. Branches that decide to go it alone, to try living without life from the vine, 
soon discover their mistake. They, they wither and die. They're good for nothing but the fire. Now, I've often thought about this. How do we remain in him? What does that look like? Thank you, N.T. Wright. Here's what he says. Both of the meanings come into play. We must remain in the community that knows and loves him and celebrates him as Lord. There's no such thing as a solitary Christian. I hadn't thought of it that way. But we must also remain as people of prayer, worship, in our own intimate private lives. We must make sure to be in touch, in tune with Jesus, knowing him, being known by him. Look, being missional at work means finding out where God is already at work, as Jesus did, which means abiding in Jesus, both by staying vitally connected with each other as followers of Jesus, but also in our own intimate lives of prayer and worship. I just offer one warning from my own experience that when you do listen to Jesus, he actually speaks to you and it can be costly to follow him. The kingdom of God often clashes with the kingdom of this world and it can be very tempting to abandon the way of the kingdom of God and just go with the flow of the surrounding culture, especially at work, uh, whatever it may look like when those around you are not living according to the kingdom of God. But what is the cost of abandoning the kingdom of God? There's no life outside the kingdom of God. That image of a shriveled vine, it's so compelling. I don't think Jesus was stating this as a punishment, just as a spiritual reality. Outside of Jesus, your soul will shrivel and wither and you'll be useless. He calls us to fullness of life, life guys. It's just often not very easy. Yet he says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. What can you add to that? So we need help. Look, partnering with the Father in our work comes out of the overflow of our quiet times with our Father, listening to his voice. So consider this beautiful prayer from Lectio 365 app the other day. Imagine praying this every morning with all your heart as you go about your daily tasks. Pray it now with me in your own heart, if you're willing. Gracious Father, Give me diligence to seek you and wisdom to find you today. May my ears hear your voice. May my eyes see your goodness and my tongue proclaim your name as I commit my life to pleasing you today. Far out, write that down on a little piece of paper and hold that in your pocket. Pull it out at morning tea and, and tell me if that's not going to shape your heart in the coming days. So again, what does this all look like in terms of our work? Look, we have the authority not only to, to meet with God and come before him on our own, but to pray for other people. Your children, your spouse, your grandchildren, your co-workers, your boss, your neighbors. I mean, do you think that Jesus just knew what to say and do? He was able to hear his father's voice and see his father's works because he sought hard after his father in prayer, scripture, silence, and solitude, and then prayed for those around him. I'm sure. We have a few examples, but I'm sure there's so many more we don't have written down. Look, we can do the same. If we're to have any clue what God is up to, we need to not only pray for ourselves and spend time with him, but pray for those around us. Now, what if your work feels really boring? Look, I've talked to my wife, Joanna, when she was a checkout, check, pack and save during uni, and she said, it's just so boring. Or what if you actually genuinely dislike what you do or who you work with? Look, I don't think there's a generic response to that sort of thing that will ring true, except just ask, where is God at work, at my work? Ask him. 
Pray for those you genuinely dislike. Pray for your employer. And God will guide you and shape your heart. I'm sure of it. Or another question you can ask, does my work contribute to flourishing of the world and humans in particular? Ask him to show you how it contributes to flourishing from his perspective. He may reveal to you something rather beautiful, something you hadn't seen. Or he may direct you into a different mode of work. So we come to one of our last reflections. How exactly is Jesus calling you to abide with him this week? Small steps, guys, make a huge difference. How does your work contribute to the flourishing of the world and humans in particular? Listen to what the Spirit has to say to you. I encourage you to write it down. Our Father works, but our Father rests as well. And we too were made to rest, made to Sabbath. This is really countercultural, and it's just dripping with faith. Faith and reliance on the provision of our Father. It's a really powerfully missional act. Look, there's a whole Bay Vineyard home church unit on Sabbath for you to explore when you're ready. Just want to add this in there to consider not only seeking God in your work and doing your work really well and standing up for the values of the kingdom, but one of those values is to rest on the Sabbath day. This brings us to our conclusion. Work, mission, and combining them together to be missional at work. Look, here's what I have in my mind as hopefully what we've talked about today. All work matters and has spiritual value in God's kingdom. The gospel is about Jesus and the kingdom of God come to earth now and in the future. And our very actions as we work are in and of themselves missional. We're missional in our work when we bring our Father's kingdom here on earth as in heaven by what we do and say. We're missional when we do our jobs well with the utmost of integrity, even if it costs us. We are missional when we abide with Jesus corporately and in our private lives of devotional practices. We're missional when we seek our Father's face in prayer and petition for those around us. We're missional when we practice Sabbath. People will see. And of course, we're missional when we engage in loving, truth-filled, spirit-led conversations about Jesus and the kingdom of God. Consider these invitations this week. What kind of discussion about being missional at work would there be from a teacher without a little bit of homework? I encourage you to choose one of these adventures this week, one or more. Personally, I've been seeking God in parenting, marriage, involvement in Bay Vineyard quite, quite intentionally and deeply. But I've realized this week I've been really basically ignoring what God's been doing at my work at school. And so the step for me this week is to pray for a mate of mine at school who doesn't know Jesus very well, to pray for my school leaders, and to ask each morning, God, what are you doing at my school in my work? And listen to what he has to say. I encourage you to consider what is God inviting you to this week. Look, in closing, we talk about being with Jesus at Bay Vineyard. We talk about becoming like Jesus. And then we talk about doing what Jesus did. So consider what did Jesus do for most of his life? He worked with his hands, with his family in a small town, hand in hand with his heavenly father. So go now and work holding your father's hand. Look at his face. He is gazing fondly at you. 
and he's inviting you into the very next moment of your day. 